Well, good morning, church family. Thank you, Sarah. I love that song, uh, that last song we just sang. There is not a problem in your life right now that an empty tomb can't fix. <laughs> okay? That's really, that's, that's the good news, isn't it? Because if uh, there's not an empty tomb, we're wasting our time. And because there is an empty tomb, uh, there's hope and there's life because we serve a king of life and he's given us life. And that's why, church family, we talk about our vision being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ passionately pursuing Christ and so um, so if you're here for the first time this morning at Windsor Road we're glad you're here and uh, my name is Randy and I'm privileged to be the lead minister here at the church and we're in a, a season here where we want to uh, just kind of launch the new year these uh, first couple of weeks talking about um, some uh, uh, themes for the past six months our staff and elders have been praying about that will influence the next uh, really two years, next 24 months, and um, those th- themes we introduced last week uh, by way of this little booklet that you can pick up on the way out. It's called So the World Will Know, and we are wanting to become um, more spiritually skilled at kingdom perspective, kingdom perspective, learning to see life the way Christ sees life. Um, uh, kingdom perspective, relentless unity, that's our theme for the day, and then uh, fearless evangelism, learning to naturally and lovingly share uh, with others what Christ has done in and through our life. So why? So the world will know. So this little booklet is here to just kind of communicate this vision, and I just want to clarify something. Uh, We're not doing a building campaign here. (laughs) Okay, kind of looks like uh, the last piece that we did three or four years ago, and I know uh, some had some questions about that, and we're not. So um, we're, we, we had a season, uh, a w- wonderful season, uh, where God, through his generosity, allowed us to build a family life center and, and the, the children's uh, ministry wing and do some renovations here. Uh, and so after a season of kind of building a facility, we now want to focus on building a congregation and building skills, uh, kingdom perspective, relentless unity, and uh, fearless evangelism. And in this booklet, in the back half, is our spending plan uh, um, that uh, we always present to the congregation each year, and this is a this is a two-year plan. So, and let me tell you why we're doing it in this two-year cycle. Um, First of all, these three skills uh, really deserve more than just 12 months um, emphasis. We want to emphasize them for 24 months. And then it's just really helpful in terms of, of um, efficiency and use of our time on staff. These three areas we want to pay attention to, we want to drill deeply into kingdom perspective, relentless unity, fearless evangelism, and, uh, and this allows us to do that for the next uh, 104 weeks, all right? So um, best booklet is available, and we want to make sure it, uh, and uh, we can get it to you online uh, as well, all right? Um, so speaking of relentless unity, so there is a PBS program that's going to air this week on Frontline. And it's a two-part, four-hour documentary. It's called The Divided States of America. The Divided States of America. And 
I know about 90 seconds of this uh, because there's a trailer. And the trailer teases me with an, quote, this is their words, in-depth view of the partisanship that's going on in Washington. It offers a glimpse of the, well, more than a glimpse, but a documentary of the highly charged uh, recent presidential campaign, uh, the rise of populist anger on both sides of the aisle, and then the racial tensions that have erupted throughout the country. And so it's a very intriguing documentary, and I, I want to watch it this week. Um, because clearly, in our country, Americans are feeling more and more divided about what's most important uh, for the country. And you can see this in a recent Gallup poll. So at the bottom, it uh, gives the dates November 26th and 27th, 2001. Uh, in answer to the question, do you believe that the United States uh, is united in what's most important for the country? And 74% said yes. And 24% said no. No, we're greatly divided. 2% had no opinion. All right? that, was, that was around Thanksgiving of 2001. 15 years later, 21%, 74% went down to 21% uh, regarding we're united as a country in terms of what's most important. And 77%, up from 24%, uh, said that we're greatly divided. So, wow, in just 15 years, you know, uh, this is our world. This is the America in which we live. And this program promises to talk about the question, how can a divided country become united? So I've been thinking about how I might choose to watch this program. How am I going to watch this program? Am I going to watch it as a participant of a particular political party? Okay. Am I going to watch it as a citizen of the United States? One whose family has been here since about 1800. Okay. Am I going to watch it through those perspectives? Because I'll tell you, if I watch it through either of those perspectives... It's going to be a little different than if I choose to watch it from a kingdom perspective. For our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, how you choose to watch a program like that is going to really uh, turn your opinion about what's the answer to that question how can a divided country become united? Because there's an assumption, even in the trailer, there's an assumption about the program, and the, the assumption is this. Government is the answer to a divided nation. Government is what can make us united. That somehow, if... You know, we can just, if Uncle Sam can just get on the ball, and if, you know, we just all contribute some good old Yankee know-how, 
Well, we can fix this. Well, that's a very American perspective. And I'm suspicious about that perspective. But can we look at that program and can we look at our country as a citizen from another realm, as a resident alien? And can the question be, okay, as a citizen of heaven, how can I bring the good news to a divided country that will then unite that country? Because the assumption in the program is that we really do want unity and we really do want peace and that peace is really better than chaos and so how can that peace be brought about well a kingdom perspective will tell you that it's not going to be brought about by any political capital on earth it's going to be brought about from the very throne of God. And that perspective, that kingdom perspective, bringing a relentless unity is the subject of Psalm 133. And that's where I'd like you to turn right now. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Psalm. If you'll just open your Bible, just write it out to the middle, you should find the book of Psalms and then turn to Psalm 133. It's on page 519 in your church Bible. And this psalm answers the question, how can a divided country become united? So follow along with me. Psalm 133. A song of ascents. Ascend, like going up. Of David, that's King David, the second king in Israel's history. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is God's word. Now, I want you to see right away, as we look at this psalm, that there are no commands to obey. Even the word behold, that's not, that's not the Hebrew word for the command look. It's more like surely or certainly or wow, take a look at this. Wow, this is good. This is pleasant. This is refreshing. So, so more than a command to obey, this song is an invitation and if you're fatigued from the fighting and the fence building, if you're exhausted from the arguing and the animosity, if you're drained from the disparagement and the derision, Psalm 133 invites us to the pleasant peace of relentless unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
Psalm 133 is in a playlist of songs called the Songs of Ascent. Ascent. Three times a year, God's people, every Israelite would pack their bags and take to the road. And they went on a road trip. They, they took a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And from wherever direction you came, Jerusalem was up on a hill. So you would have to ascend this hill, the Songs of Ascent. And the entire nation would gather. Uh, and keep in mind, you know, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. And so they would travel to the temple and worship as a, as a nation. And on their way, they would sing this song and the other songs in the playlist. And if you glance over to, on like page 518, you can see some of these other songs of ascent. And they would, they would sing these songs on their journey. And it was empowering. It was a, it was a, a playlist that meant to communicate, you're not by yourself. You're not alone. There are others on this journey with you. And, you know, if you need help, others will be there for you. If you break down, others will assist you. Uh, I'm thinking of um, Henry Cloud's book, The Power of the Other. The undeniable reality is that how well you do in life and in business depends not only on what you do and how you do it, your skills and competencies, but also on who is doing it with you or to you. Who's helping you? Who's fighting you? Who's strengthening you? Who's diminishing you? These people literally are making you who you are. Who is helping you build those skills and competencies? Who is tearing them down? Other people do have power in your life for good or bad, but what kind of power are others going to have over your life and your performance? The power of the other. Psalm 133 is about the power of the other. It's a proclamation of how pleasant and powerful it is when God's people practice unity and when we are as committed to one another as God is committed to us. It, it's, it's unlike anything the world has ever seen. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And, and you can understand you know, why it's unlike anything the world has ever seen. Can't you? You know, brothers fight a lot. <laughs> am I the only one who fought with my brothers? Yeah. Can I get an amen here? Yeah. But they do. They, they fought, fought, fought with my brothers, I mean, all the time. And naturally, of course, it was their fault. I had nothing to do with instigating any of it. But, I mean, we would fight on the way to school. We would fight on the way to church. How many of us have had our darlings fighting on the way to church? Our little cherubs are nitpicking at each other until the time we open the door. Oh, we're fine. Yeah. Oh, it brought my mom tears. The first story in the Bible is about brothers. The story of Cain and Abel. It's a murder story. Their fight was a religious fight, too. A quarrel over which of them God loved best. And then you just keep flipping through the pages of Genesis and, and you, know, you, you read the story of Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph had that uh, um, uh, coat of many colors that his father, who showed favoritism toward him, and of course his brothers envied him and 
Ended up selling him to Egypt as a slave. And then you keep reading through the Bible and you read about King David and his brothers. And, you know, David went to deliver food and, and assistance on behalf of his father, Jesse, to his brothers who were serving in the military and, and he was inquiring about the Philistines and, and Goliath. And, and man, I mean, he just got nipped at and brothers fight. Even Jesus and his brothers give evidence of disharmony, you know? I mean, how would you respond if, if your older brother thought he was the son of God? You know? I mean, my older brother, he sometimes acted like God. And then the one picture we have is of Jesus and his brothers and the misunderstanding and they're trying to drag Jesus away from his mission because they think he's crazy. How can we hope for unity? Brothers fight. Well, verses two and three offer a clue where the psalmist says it's, you know, the unity is as good and precious as oil on the head running down the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Now, I'm a 21st century American guy, you know, and I read that and I'm thinking, ew, get that off me. What? It's staining my shirt. I got to take it to the dry cleaner. What's going on? What is this? What does verse 2 mean? Well, precious oil is scented oil, perfumed oil. In the ancient world, a host would anoint the guests weary from traveling with refreshing, scented, perfumed oil. And, and to go deeper, in Scripture, oil can represent the Spirit of God. And look at how much oil I and mean, there's so much oil, it's, it's not just stopping at the beard. It's dripping down the beard, dripping down on the collar of his robes. Robes which indicate the wardrobe of a priest. The beard of Aaron. Who was Aaron? Aaron was the brother of Moses. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. And on Aaron's priestly high priestly garment on his chest were uh, 12 precious stones each representing the tribe of Israel so Aaron is representing Israel Exodus 19 6 the Lord says you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so God's perspective was that Aaron, the high priest, Aaron would represent his nation who was called to be a priest before the entire world. So let's put all these images together. Psalm 133 says that it's a thing of glory to see the oil of the Holy Spirit dripping down, running down the head along the face into the beard and onto the collar, staining it, scenting the very people of God. Who as a people are priests to the world. Do you get this? 
this transforms how we see one another. You're not damaged goods to be discarded. You're not a problem to be solved. You're not an issue to be fixed. You're a brother or sister in Christ, and you're more than that. You're a priest. You're my priest. You see, even a pastor, especially a pastor, needs a priest. I need a priest. What a privilege this is. Uh, a pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who served um, the Lord in uh, Nazi Germany, ultimately gave his life. He wrote about this privilege in a, in a book that I would highly recommend called Life Together. If you want really the best book outside the Bible on, on, on relentless unity, it's the book Life Together. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about the privilege of being a priest. And he said, you know, I need a brother or sister in Christ because they are in Christ. And there are times when the Christ in my heart feels uncertain and fearful. But the Christ in your heart is strong and certain and I need the Christ in your heart to speak truth and grace to my heart. And as you see yourself from a kingdom perspective, being a priest, mediating the confidence and strength of God, see, that just changes everything. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, when he said, be filled with the Spirit, that is, be dominated and be led by the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we speak psalms and hymns to one another and pray for one another and address one another and make melody to the Lord in our hearts to one another and give thanks to God for one another for every when that happens on a regular basis in here, out in the, uh, in, the, in the lobby, in our small groups, when that happens, my goodness, it is beautiful and it is pleasant. And there's another level, because this is a song, right? There are lyrics, verse 3. This beauty and this pleasant unity is like the dew of Hermon. Now, what's Hermon? Hermon is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is a mountain range uh, in northern Israel. And in the mornings, the ground would be drenched in dew, and the alpine moisture would refresh the arid ground of that climate. And remember, this is poetry. So, so whatever moisture was on Hermon would eventually flow to even flourish Mount Zion. So it would, there were, we're talking symbols and lyrics and images of moisture flowing down the highest point in Israel and, and then it, there's so much of it and the force is so much that it flows down and then it then flows back up to Zion and there's nourishment. The highest point in Israel is the source of God's nourishment. I think that's why in another psalm, Psalm 121 
It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's why in verses two and three, this phrase running down is repeated three times actually in the original Hebrew. Running down on the beard. Running down on the collar of Aaron's robes. Running down the mountains of Zion. Oh my goodness, there's so much, so much. The strength to love, the privilege of being loved, the pleasantness of peace. These can only come from on high, from God. Don't you see why relentless unity is not so much a command to obey, it's a gift. It's a blessing. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. So you don't achieve this gift, you receive it. You, and you receive it by remembering your primary identity. And that is you're a priest. You're a priest. And, and we are a priesthood, a kingdom of priests. And that changes everything. So, so what I'm seeing in Psalm 133 is this big idea. It takes a priest to make it takes a priest to make peace and it takes a congregation of priests to make a community of peace relentless unity so what does this look like in real life well a picture of this kind of otherworldly peace um is from a book that one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, has written. It's a book called Church, Why Bother? And it's a book about his experiences with local churches, and it addresses the I love Jesus, but I hate the church kind of attitude that people can, I understand, have, I get it. Philip Yancey tells about a church experience he had in a local congregation in inner city Chicago. And he firsthand saw God's people mediate God's peace to a very troubled, ill young man named Adolphus. Um, Adolphus was a Vietnam vet. And he came home uh, with post-traumatic stress. And in Yancey's words... If Adolphus took his medicine on Sunday, he was manageable. If not, then church might be a little more exciting than usual. So, like, if he didn't take his medicine, Adolphus might start at the back and high hurdle his way to the front over these pews. Uh, or, during the pastor's message, he might turn on his headphones and listen to music instead of the sermon. Um, as a part of their worship time, there was an element called prayers of the people. And the church would stand and people would call out a prayer, prayer for peace, prayer for healing, prayer for justice. And at the conclusion of each request, the congregation would respond almost liturgically. They would all say at the conclusion of each request, Lord, hear our prayer. And Adolphus figured out that he could use this as a platform to air his opinions. 
So he would say things like, Lord, thank you for Whitney Houston and her amazing body. And there would be an awkward pause. And then a few would chime in weekly, Lord, hear our prayer. Um, and, you know, the visitors didn't know what to think. And the, you know, members got used to it. Uh, a group in the church began to show some priestly love to Adolphus, uh, a group which included a doctor and a psychiatrist, and they started loving on him. And, and so every time Adolphus would have an outburst, you know, they would take him aside and talk it through using the word inappropriate a lot. Um, Adolphus, there, there are appropriate and inappropriate ways to share your anger, and praying for the pastor's house to burn down, that's inappropriate, Adolphus. And so... Um, So this church, the members found out that Adolphus sometimes walked five miles to get to worship because he couldn't afford a bus fare. And so, you know, they offered him rides and many would offer him meals and invite him home. And against all odds, his story has a happy ending, Philip Yancey says. He said, Adolphus calmed down and he started growing emotionally. He began to ask for help when he felt his symptoms coming on. And not only did Adolphus grow, the congregation grew as well. They became more sensitive. They became more responsive to those in need. They learned patience and they also learned in the classical sense tolerance tolerance listen the world does not know tolerance the world thinks it knows tolerance but the world doesn't know tolerance because because you really can't tolerate that with which you agree <laughs> the very nature of classical tolerance calls you to be civil to that with which you fervently disagree, you see. And the congregation learned that. And, and, and the congregation learned grace in practice. And, and um, here's what I mean by that. Grace equips you to love naturally instead of loving strenuously. Sometimes I find myself thinking and feeling, ah, oh, okay, I, I love this person, but it's just really hard. That's strenuously. But wouldn't it be great to be so flooded with the oil of Aaron and the dew of Hermon that I could love and extend grace effortlessly? Because it's just, it's just how much Christ has gotten a hold of my heart. That's Psalm 133. That's the invitation of this psalm. And that's why, that's why the psalmist says, this is so good and it's so pleasant when brothers and sisters live in unity. It takes a priest to make peace. 
Well, centuries later, another priest would appear, another high priest, the true high priest, our king, Jesus, would echo this psalm of unity when he prayed his high priestly prayer for us in John 17. I pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Those, that's us. Their word, that's the apostles' word, the gospel given to us by the apostles of Christ, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And by glory, I'm not talking about radioactive glowing glory. I'm talking about the glory of humiliation, the glory of servanthood, the glory of selfless sacrifice, the glory of the God-man hanging on a cross, mediating between heaven and earth. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus has prayed for us. He's prayed for us that through his gospel word, this good news, that he is the source of our unity. He is the source of our peace. He is the source of our oneness. And he is why we can be a worldwide kingdom of priests. It truly does take a priest to make peace. And Jesus made peace with his own death on the cross. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 13 through 16, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you who were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. The only place for lasting unity, the only place where the roots of peace can grow deep is in the ground of the death, burial, and resurrection of our high priest, Jesus. You see, the reason why our country is so divided is not because of any one political party. It's because of sin. 
And we have to agree with Professor Jarvis Williams of Southern Seminary. Sin is the fundamental reason that human beings need to be reconciled first to God and second to one another. For sin has shattered the relationship of human beings with God and one another. And if you don't have a kingdom perspective, you will never believe that. Salvation and the peace that comes with it will not occur from any political capital on earth. Peace comes from on high. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? It takes a priest to make peace. And peace is from God. Peace is an attribute of God. Peace is among the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, love, joy, peace. Peace appears in uh, the New Testament letters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And peace with God is life forever with God. And peace has come by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Romans 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And and if I have peace with God in Christ and you have peace with God in Christ, then We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter from what tribe or nation or language we come. And so what we're doing now is is really a foretaste of our forever blessedness. A a picture of this in Micah 4, 1 and 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and peoples, peoples, tribes, nations will flow to it and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths we we don't have to wait till then our vocation as a priesthood is to start living like that right now right now so in Christ we now have this opportunity to show the divided states of America why their way doesn't work and why God's way always works because Christ has flooded us with his spirit we now live as ambassadors of peace which means that if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ we're in Christ we're brothers and sisters no matter our ethnicity and moreover my love and service to my Christian brothers and sisters must transcend my love and and my affection and my favoritism and my devotion and service that I offer someone from my race because Christians are part of the family of God again Dr. Williams, membership in the Christian family is much more important than association with any ethnic group or club. And because our church is located in a diverse community, then we want to reach out in diverse ways. Ethnic groups, age groups, educational groups, economic groups, cultural groups, musical styles, married people, single people, divorced people, widows, widowers, groups, of those who are emotionally healthy, groups who struggle, groups in recovery from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Listen, listen. In the first century church, Ephesus and Corinth, they were populated with church members who were slaves, 
freedmen, Roman citizens, Greeks, Hebrews, men, women, married, divorced, single, government officials, merchants, artisans, the patrician class, military, they were so different. But in Christ, they were one body. And the closer they grew to the gospel of Jesus, the closer they became to one another. And it's still true today. It's still true today. You know, I tell you, one of the things that just frustrates me the most about this silly health situation I'm dealing with is that I'm not going to be able to go to Nepal at the end of February like I'd really like to. To be with Sundar Tapa, and who has preached from this pulpit, and I've had the privilege of uh, preaching to 300 pastors from Nepal who gather, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm with them maybe 10 minutes, if that, and I just sense the oil of Aaron and the dew of Hermon because they're my brothers, they're my sisters in Christ. And, you know, we study from the same word and we partake of the same cup and eat of the same bread and we share the same spirit. We are in one body, one king, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're so different! But Christ is the source of our relentless unity. And it's still true today. It takes a priest to make peace.